0: Well, there is uh, no way that I can express to you what that was like. Uh, that was almost an out-of-body experience to uh, to be installed as pastor here. It was just amazing. And I just wanna thank you all uh, so much for your support. Uh, it's been a long road to get here, as John mentioned, but uh, it's been an incredible road. And there might be some things that I would trade along the way that happened, but um, God is good and God is faithful. And uh, so I'm just incredibly grateful uh, to the Lord to be here. And I just thank you all. And I thank you for the warm welcome that we've received. We've just felt at home here since day one. And uh, it's just been an incredible uh, feeling that we have had since we've been here. It's wonderful uh, to see so many of you here. Um, I have a few goals for while I'm here. and, And one of the goals that I have is just simply to know God better. And I pray that that's a goal that you have too. Uh, There's a song in the musical Godspell. Many of you may know the song. It's called Day by Day. And basically, it's a chorus that just repeats over and over again. Day by day, O dear Lord, three things I pray. To see thee more clearly, love thee more dearly, follow thee more nearly, day by day. And that's really what the road of discipleship is like. And so we want to know the Lord better and we want to grow closer to him together and I pray that these are the things that uh, are of interest to you because uh, I certainly want to build up the body that we're in, but I want to reach outside these walls and touch others who do not do not yet know the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that that's what we are going to do together as a church. And so blessing others is one of the things that we do as a church. So I'm just going to bow in prayer for a second and then we're going to get into our sermon for today. Lord God, I do thank you for this amazing Church, uh, this is your church, Lord. We acknowledge that, and uh, Lord, we pray your blessings on us. We pray that you guide us and direct us in in the things that we would like to do for you, Lord. Uh, help us to know what is best and not just what is good, uh, so that we would follow your will, Lord. Follow it completely, and Lord, that we would know uh, your will for our church. So, Lord, we ask these things in your Son's precious name. Amen. Okay. All right, so we're going to start a series today on the life of Abraham, and I'm calling it God's grace in the life of Abraham, and forgive me if I go back and forth between Abraham and Abram, as you know, his name was changed along the way, and I could easily stumble and call him Abram when I should be calling him Abraham and vice versa, but for now, this is God's grace in the life of Abram today, and uh, so we're starting this because uh, I see some parallels between Abraham's life and the life of Grace Redeemer Community Church, and we're going to draw some of those out. Uh, as we continue on this journey through Abraham's life. So Genesis chapter one, of course, starts out with God's creation of the world and he said it was good. And then he created man and he said it was very good. And God told Adam to be fruitful and multiply and populate the entire earth. Uh, And then chapter three, it's not too long before sin enters into the world. And once sin enters into the world, sin continues to multiply and grows worse so much so that God decided that he needed to reboot the entire world. And so in chapters six through eight, he sends the flood, Uh, the world is wiped out except for Noah and uh, the three sons and their wives. And so then God uh, says, get off the boat, go, be fruitful, multiply, populate the whole earth. So it's the second time we see that. And then it's not very long after Noah gets off the ark that they've fallen into all kinds of sin again Uh, In fact, the Tower of Babel incident is the thing that caused God to uh, come down and to uh, confuse their languages and scatter the people over the whole earth because the people had decided that they did not want to populate the whole earth. They wanted to stay in one place, build a tower for themselves so that they might make their own name great rather than making God's name great. And so God reacted to that. And so he decides that what he's going to do is instead of trying to bless the whole world as a whole, he's going to uh, take a new tack. He's going to bless the world through one man and through one family. So almost another reboot, you could say, in terms of how God wants to bless the world. And so we're introduced as we get to the end of chapter 11 uh, to this man, Terah, and his family and what's called the generations of Terah. And we see that Terah, is uh, the father of three sons his sons are haran abraham and nahur and haran has a son whose name is lot and we'll see more of lot as we get into the story as well this family is from the city of ur now ur is over uh, well east of canaan towards towards babylon and life in ur was uh, was kind of cosmopolitan it was kind of a city life uh, where people were prospering very well financially, uh, but it was also a very highly idolatrous city. And archaeology confirms these things. They found all kinds of things there that show that this is the kind of city that Ur was. And I want you to hear that. I want you to hear what I said, that archaeology confirms this. So you don't need to fear science, because science done well, confirms the truth of the Bible. And so they've dug in the sand for a city that existed 4,000 years ago and have been able to confirm that this city existed, was highly prosperous, but also highly idolatrous. So life in in Ur, after the populations had been scattered over the entire world, uh, was different because people had different languages. And so they, they congregated in their families the families made up clans, and then the clans made up tribes, and you would do business within your tribe, you would, you would sell within your tribe, you would congregate within your tribe, and so that's how life was, just a bunch of tribes around speaking different languages. And so from out of this world that God calls this one man Abram, and think about God's grace, that from out of this, out of this world, this pagan world, God calls this one man And through this one man, he's going to create an entire nation. And to this nation, he's going to give his revelation. And from that nation, a redeemer, our redeemer, Jesus Christ, is going to be called all through Abram. So think about what a blessing God bestowed on Abram when he bestowed the blessing that he did. So if we were to look at the end of chapter 11, we were told at the end of chapter 11 that that Terah took his family and journeyed to Haran, intending to get to Canaan. But Terah stopped in Haran. So there was a 600 mile journey that they took from Ur to Haran, but there were still 400 miles left intended to be journeyed. Um, And so what happens is that Terah died in Haran and Abram and the rest of his family, they stopped and they settled there and they did not yet complete the journey to, uh, to Canaan. Uh, And then God calls Abram again, renewing a call and telling him to go forth. uh, And we're going to see that, what that looks like in in chapter 12. We'll get to in a second. So remember, this is 4,000 years ago. And so you can imagine that this is a very different society than our society in just about every way, except for one, that it's a highly idolatrous, highly pagan city that has forgotten God. And do you see these parallels in our country today, right? We are highly idolatrous, highly pagan, and we have forgotten the one true God. And so uh, that's the similarity between where Abram finds himself and where we find ourselves. So we're gonna draw parallels between those things because the world is different in many ways, but not different in that one very significant way. So as we get into our passage today, Genesis 12, verses one through nine, I meant to show you the slide. So this is where, this is, Ur, over here, all the way to the east, this is where he went to originally, Haran, and this is where he's going to end up traveling to down into Canaan. So 600 miles and then 400 more miles uh, down to here. So as we get into the passage, we're going to see a few things. In verses 1 through 3, we're going to see that God calls and God promises. In verses 4 through 6, we're going to see that there are obstacles, but God is able to overcome obstacles. And in verses seven to nine, we're gonna see that God requires a proper response. And then we're gonna see some applications and I'm gonna leave you with a challenge this week. And I'm gonna keep you in suspense until we get there. So there'll be a challenge at the end. So stay with me. All right, so verses one through three, uh, this is the section I'm calling God Calls. So turn with me there. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed." So we have an imperative, go, and then we have a bunch of promises that follow after the imperative. So God says, get up and go. And when you go, these are the things that I'm going to do for you. I'm going to make you a great nation, first of all. Ur was a great city, but a great nation is something greater than what Ur was going to be. And this is the promise that God makes to Abram. God promises to bless Abram. So he's going to bless him in many ways, and we'll see that throughout the course of his life and even in this passage. God promises to make Abram's name great. That means to be honored, to be well-known, to be famous, to be respected among the peoples of the world. And then God promises that Abram would be a blessing to others, and that's actually an imperative there. He says be a blessing to others, and God is going to help him to be that. God promises to bless those who bless Abraham. So if you come into contact with Abram and you wish him goodwill, God is going to return that goodwill to you. But the converse is also true. If you come into contact with Abraham and you wish him ill will, uh, the the word curse actually means disdain. So if you disdain Abram, that disdain, God is going to bring that disdain back on you. And all this is for the result that God wants in verse 7. God promises that he will bless the nations through Abram. So did God call Abram out of this tribe in the middle of Ur just to pour his blessings on to Abram because Abram was such a great guy? No, that's not what God's purpose was. God's purpose was that Abram would be a conduit. God wants to send forth his blessings through Abram and then Abram would pass those blessings out to the world. He's just going to be a conduit through whom God's blessings flow. And so these are incredible promises that God is making to this man, Abram, but they basically boil down to three. You have land being promised, you have seed being promised, and you have blessing being promised. So imagine you're Abram and you've gone as far as Ur uh, to the place of Canaan and your family has settled there. And then God comes out and he talks to you again and he says, go. And the end of chapter 11 tells us that um, Abram was prospering in Haran. So Abram's thinking, all right, I'm doing very well here in uh, Haran. But this God is calling me and he's telling me, continue on your journey. Go to Canaan. And we also read in verse 1127 that his wife, Sarah, was barren. And that is a big thing because it's hard to, for God to continue to bless with descendants and a nation when your wife is barren. So Abram considers what he's got in front of him, Uh, although we're not told that. But you would think in your own mind, if God told you to go, you'd consider these are the blessings I have, but God is promising me greater and greater. And so Abram, he understands that God has promised everything I touch is going to be blessed and anyone who curses me is going to be cursed. That sounds like a pretty good deal to Abram. And so Abram, uh, he's going to get up and go because the promises are only as good as the one making the promise. And Abram had heard from God, and he trusted God. He knew that there were going to be obstacles because he knew in his own life what they were. But Abram thought, big changes, bigger God. Big changes, bigger God. He's going to have big changes in his life. But he understands that God is bigger than whatever changes there are, whatever obstacles there are. And so Abram is willing to get up and go. Uh, And so now we'll take a look at some of the obstacles that existed in Abram's life. Um, God is able to overcome obstacles. So let's read verses 4 through 6. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his nephew and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran and they set out for the land of Canaan and thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Moreh and the Canaanite was then in the land. Okay, so Abram makes this journey. He he is understanding that there are going to be obstacles yet What's interesting about Abram's life is that when, when Paul wrote about Abram in Romans chapter 4, he says, Abram was fully assured that what God had promised, he was able to do. And that's an incredible thing to say about somebody, to be able to say that that person had that kind of faith, that they were willing to face all the obstacles in their way, being fully assured that what God had promised, he was fully able to do. And I pray that we have that kind of faith as well, because God has made us promises too, and we should be fully assured that what he's promised, he is able to do. So... There are going to be challenges though, right? Um, There are going to be several challenges and we're going to see some of them in these few verses and we're going to see a lot more of them as we get through Abram's life. Some Abram brought on himself, some God sent to prune Abram, but there's going to be a lot of mess in Abram's life and he's going to have to figure out how to navigate that and God is going to navigate that with him. So what are some of these obstacles in Abram's way? The first obstacle is theological, right? Abram comes out of this pagan background, and he comes from the city of Ur, which is pagan, and he's gone to Haran, which is pagan, and he's moving on to Canaan, which is pagan. So how is God going to bless the world through Abram to a people who don't know this God? God is going to have to make himself known through Abram to this people. So the theological obstacle. And then there are these human obstacles that exist. The first thing is, is Abram's age. Abram is 75. He's gotta take a 400-mile walk in the desert from Haran to Canaan. So how is God going to strengthen Abram uh, so that he can make this journey and get to Canaan safely? Uh, there are dangers along the way in travel, and so he's gonna to have to navigate those. Another problem is infertility. We're told that his wife, Sarai, is barren. So how is God going to take Sarai and make a great nation uh, through her? Now, uh, many of you have experienced infertility as Molly and I have. And you know what that feels like. It feels utterly hopeless. And yet Abram has enough faith to believe that God has, has made these promises and he's going to fulfill these promises through Abram. And on top of all of that, he's got the Canaanites to deal with. So Abram has to go into this land. He's gonna be an alien, he's gonna be a foreigner, he's gonna be an outsider, he's not going to be trusted. And he's going to enter into this land where they speak a different language and he's gonna have to figure out, how am I gonna deal with these Canaanites? Whenever you see Canaanites in the Bible, it's normally talking about something evil, something idolatrous. The Canaanites are generally not used as a paragon of faith to God, right? They tend to be the antithesis of of, uh, faith in God. And so you have this problem of the Canaanites. Abram is probably not going to be able to dispossess or to assimilate with these people. He's going to have to dispossess them, uh, and that will happen through his descendants. So how is God going to do that? That's a whole bunch of obstacles. And we've only read six verses, right, so far in this story. He's got a lot of problems ahead of him. So, but yet he's he's fully assured that what God promised he was able to do. And that's Abram's life theme, right? God has made promises, but how is he going to fulfill these promises? Look at all this mess in my life. Look at all these obstacles in my way. God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I trust you enough that you're going to do it. And so I'm going to get up and go. Now, God has made promises in your life, too. Right. There are things in your life where you're trusting God for this or you're trusting God for that. And sometimes the road is longer than you want it to be. And it comes with a lot of zigzags. Right. There's not often a straight line where God promises you something and you sprint to it and God hands it to you. Right. That's not how life works. Life is full of challenges, obstacles, things in our way and he puts them there, why? Because he doesn't like us? No, because he wants to strengthen our faith, right? He uses obstacles as a way to grow our faith, and he's going to do that in Abram's life. So there will be struggles along the way. Abraham had the same struggles in his life, but he used them, he became a pillar of faith, right? Uh, Three major religions look to Abram as their father, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, all look back to Abram as this incredible man because he was willing To overcome or try to overcome the obstacles in his way. But you can see that there are a couple of maybe minor cracks in the faith already because the Lord said, go from your family, right? He didn't say take your family. And yet Abram takes Lot with him. And it may be that Lot was taken in case uh, God did not make good on his promise to make descendants through him. That maybe Lot could be the heir, just in case God was not true to his word. So uh, that may be something that was going through Abram's mind. He also may have just thought, you know, it'd be nice to have another guy to talk to on the road. Uh, we don't exactly know. But Lot went with him when, when God said, go from your family. Um, so Abram gets up and he goes. He thinks big changes, bigger God. So can God remove obstacles? Do you, do you have the faith? Do you have the belief that God can overcome obstacles in your life? Uh, God certainly did that for me. I, I could stand up here for an hour and tell you the things that were in my way to get to be standing right here before you today. And, and uh, as I said earlier, this is almost a surreal moment to be standing here before you because sometimes the obstacles seem so great that there were times when I thought this might never happen. But God is a God of of faith and a God of blessing and a God of love, and the obstacles in your way are not because he dislikes you. It's because you're not ready yet, or you're not ready to receive the promise or the blessing uh, that he wants to give you, and he's still working on you. And so God can remove the obstacles in your life. He did it for me, and I pray that you'll you'll understand that. If you're dealing with something right now that seems an insurmountable obstacle, uh, God can handle it, and God will handle it in the proper time. But Proper response is required, right? Uh, Abram had to get up and go. So let's take a look at verses. I forgot to show you that one too. I was just showing you Canaan again where he was traveling to. So verses 7 through 9, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on, continuing to the Negev. So, Abram responded with obedience. That's the first thing that that Abram did in faith. Now... Uh, I talked about the family life a little bit in earlier. So when you are part of this family, this, the family, the tribe that you're part of, it, it makes up the entire socioeconomic society that you live in. You uh, get your living from your tribe and your family. You have your relationships through your tribe and your family. So to get up and go from there is not an easy thing to do because you're being asked to leave your family and everything you know behind and travel a thousand miles to Canaan to a land that God... Promises to show you. Abram didn't even know where he was going, right? Uh, Hebrews 11:8 says that God called Abram, and Abram got up in obedience and went forth, not even knowing where he was going, but God directed his paths, right? And so, when Abram gets to Shechem, he does this act of worship. Uh, he he gets there and he builds an altar, uh, and we'll see that in a second. But the first thing I want to tell you is that God recognized Abram's obedience. And so you see there he says in the third word there, the Lord appeared to Abram. This is the first appearance of God in the Bible. God had talked, God had walked with, uh, with others in the Bible so far. He's talked to Adam, Noah, Enoch, but he's never appeared to somebody before. And so he appears to Abram here because he wants to assure Abram that he's still in God's will. So imagine you're, you're uh, in Haran. you have a 400-mile walk down to Canaan, and you're, you know, 50 miles in, you're 100 miles in, you're hot, you're sweaty, you're thirsty, you're like, what what am I doing here? Whose idea was this, right? Uh, I don't know if this is what I ought to be doing. Uh, But he continues on his path, he continues on his journey, and God then appears to him to reassure Abram that he is still in his will and doing the right thing. And God gives us this assurance too, right? When we're struggling we can rely on our Bible. We can rely on prayer. Uh, we know that the Lord speaks to us through His Word. And so, uh, and we have so much more revelation than what Abram had, right? Abram had a word from God go. And we have the cross to look back on. How many promises in the Bible are fulfilled in the cross alone? And then in the giving of the Holy Spirit, we have these things. Abram didn't have any of that. We have so much more revelation than he did. And so we're called to, be, to respond in obedience just like Abram did. Uh, life is hard and there are struggles along the way, but we walk by faith. Uh, Abram walked by faith. And so uh, what we will see is that Abram, when he got to Shechem, he worshiped. And that is the proper response. So you see there in verse seven, he says he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him." Now, what is an altar? It's a pile of rocks for one thing, but it's a pile of rocks with a purpose. It's meant to be a permanent testimony that that I was here and I built this pile of rocks and I'm I'm gonna stand here and worship the Lord on it. So he's living in this land of the Canaanites. They don't build these kinds of altars to their pagan gods. So this is a, a permanent witness to God. I worship you, God and I worship not the pagan gods that I used to worship. And the Canaanites, of course, would have seen that, knowing that Abram was testifying uh, to others about who who the true God was. So Abram does that. And building this altar uh, means for, for Abram that he is making a sacrifice on the altar, right? And the sacrifice is also an act of worship. So Abram has done the right thing. He's responded properly. And the Lord has blessed him uh, in, in so many ways already. In fact, back in verse 5 where it says that the Lord had given him possessions and people, that's a blessing. Abram took those people and possessions from Haran to Canaan. And we can often think possessions, we understand that. That's, that's just a bunch of, of goods that Abram had acquired along the way. But when we see people, we can think slaves, right? Well, it's not slaves. The, the Hebrew word doesn't say slaves. It says people. And so what most scholars think is that Abram was making proselytes in Haran, and people were following him. They were watching his words, and, and or listening to his words, and watching his life, and saying, I, I, I like this guy's message, and I'm going to follow Abram. And so they followed him to Canaan. So Abram was the first evangelist in the Bible. That's who Abram was. And so he's out spreading the word to the people in Haran and he's making converts and he's making disciples just like God wants him to do. So when he comes to Shechem and he does this act of worship, God blesses him. And then he moves on from Shechem to Bethel and Ai. So here is Shechem up here. Bethel and Ai are 20 miles south. Now Abram has come all the way from out here through the desert and journeying through Canaan from north to south. And he reaches this place between the mountains of Bethel and Ai. And he builds an altar there. So that's the second altar. But not only does he build an altar there, there he calls on the name of the Lord. And to call on the name of the Lord is to say, Yahweh, I believe you. I trust in you to the exclusion of the other Canaan or pagan gods that I used to know. And so Abram is, what is he doing? He's making God's name great. And that's the same thing that God promised to do for Abram in the beginning of the chapter, right? So Abram makes God's name great. Abram, uh, God is then going to make Abram's name great. And by the end of Abram's life, he's the most famous, most well-respected man on the earth. Now, what's interesting about that also is that what did the guys in Babylon do? They were building a tower to the heavens so that they could make their own name great, Right? And what does God do? He comes down and he gives them a smackdown. He gives them a beatdown. He says, "No, that's not how I want you to live. I want you to make my name great." And so, to the to to Abram, he's verifying that Abram, you're doing the right thing. You make my name great. I will make your name great. Uh, unlike what he did to Nimrod and his people in in chapter eleven, uh, Abram's name is going to be made great. And so, Abram continues uh, throughout the land. Verse nine tells us that he journeyed down toward the Negev, so he's traveled all the way down here. This is the southern end of Canaan. Negev actually means south in Hebrew. So God has graciously shown Abram the entire land that he's going to get to inherit, uh, he and his descendants. And so what have we seen in nine verses? Have we seen any of God's grace in Abram's life in the first nine verses of this amazing chapter? God has called him, God has appeared to him, God has given him people God has given him possessions. He's given him safety and endurance for the journey, and he's shown him the length of the entire land that he's going to inherit, and that's in nine verses, and we have a lot more of the story to go in Abram's life and the blessing that God uh, bestows on Abram. So, what have we learned? What, What can we take away from this chapter? I have four applications for you and a challenge, and the first application is that God still calls. There's not one of us sitting here who knows the Lord Jesus, who who God didn't call, right? God has to call us before we can believe in him. And I have been here a week and I've been in this building for an hour, and I'm not going to assume that everybody in this room is saved and knows the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm not going to assume that anybody who may hear this message uh, on our website is saved. So I wanna say to you that God still calls, and if you feel him calling you now, receive the call. Jesus Christ died for your sins, he was buried, he rose from the dead so that you might have eternal life. So receive that call, receive that blessing, know the Lord Jesus Christ, Uh, have forgiveness of your sins. God still calls. Also, God can overcome obstacles. We've seen some obstacles in Abram's life and there are gonna be a lot more to come. But obstacles are mere human impediments. Obstacles are nothing to God, right? Canaanites, infertility, age, uh, idolatry, being a pagan, none of that matters to God. He can overcome anything. He gives us these little things to test our faith, but they're nothing to God. He can overcome all of those obstacles. And so whatever obstacles you're facing in your life, know that God has it. Know that no obstacle is too big for God, even though they're too big for us, right? There are some of these obstacles in our lives. We cannot overcome or conquer by ourselves. We need the Lord to do it. We can never do it. So uh, we rely on God. We pray to God that he will remove these things in our life. And more importantly, that we would learn what God would have us learn when he put the obstacle in our way in the first place, right? He's trying to teach us something. He's not necessarily trying to make our lives difficult. So uh, pray to God. Ask what he wants you to learn from this and watch how God removes these things from your life when you've learned the lesson that he has for you. Uh, another op- uh, another application is that God still blesses. Do you know that, that Abram had an amazing life and he experienced incredible blessings, but God's, God's blessings are not reserved to Abram, right? God didn't just say, I'm gonna bless Abram and nobody else. God's blessings are still available to all who seek after him, who follow his will, who want to know him better and want to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... Uh, they're not unique to Abraham, but one thing we do have to do to receive them is we need to forsake all other idols that may be in our lives, right? We forsake whatever else is taking attention away from God and focus our attention to to, uh, to God. God, when Abram focused on God, then Abram received the blessings from God. And finally, be a blessing to others, right? That's the last thing. Be a blessing to others. Um, it's very nice that we have this church building and, and, and we meet here and we congregate here, but God doesn't intend for us to just sit inside these four walls and build each other up, even though that's something that we should be doing. We are supposed to be going out too, into the community, uh, into the world that we've been called and to bless others. That's what God had for Abram. Be a blessing to others. I'm going to pour my blessings through you as a channel to the world. And I, God wants that for us too. And I think you understand that, which is why, uh, because you have sought after God's will, God has graciously given us this opportunity in Garland. And I just think it's fantastic that you're willing to go to a place that you do not know, like Abram was called to do, right? Abram got up, went to a place he did not know. I don't know how many of you live in Garland, how many of you are familiar with Garland, probably not too many. We're going to a place that we do not know and we're going to be a blessing there. And so that's the main reason why I wanted to start out with this chapter as we're thinking about the future of Grace Redeemer Community Church. Um, Why does God choose to bless anyone? It's simply because he loves us, right? He doesn't need to bless us. He wants to bless us. And so uh, he picks this man, Abram. Who is Abram? He's a nobody. He's living a 1,000 miles away from Canaan. Uh, he's a pagan. God just chooses him. Why? No reason except that God loves him and decides that this is going to be the man through whom his blessings flow. Uh, who are we? Also, nobodies, right? Living in a pagan, idolatrous world except that the, the fact that God loved us and called us to believe in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we might have life. Who are our neighbors, who are our friends, who are our coworkers, who are our family? They fall into two camps, right? You have the saved and you have the lost. They're one or the other. And so as we think about what we're gonna be doing as we go to Garland, I want us to get a little practice this week about how I want us to think about the rest of the world. And so my challenge to you is this, pick one unsaved family member, friend, neighbor, acquaintance, coworker, and evangelize to them this week, just one. We'll start slow and we'll hit the ground running when we get to Garland, but uh, go up to somebody and say, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Um, How do you know that you are going to go to heaven? And tell them about the love of the Lord Jesus, that he died for your sins and rose so that you could have eternal life. That's the challenge for this week. Pick one person. You guys can hold yourselves accountable. Look to the left, look to the right, and you you say to somebody next week, did you do what he said last week? Did you do what he said? Uh, And somebody can ask me too. Hold me accountable as well. So let's do that. Are there going to be obstacles for us in Garland? Yeah, I think there probably will be. Uh, Some of them we probably don't know what they are right now, but big changes, bigger God, right? We know that God is bigger than any obstacles that we might... um, encounter. God is going to do great and amazing things through us. I truly believe that. I think that he has orchestrated all these circumstances and is about to send us out to do incredible things. And so I'm just so excited and I can't wait to see what God is going to do through us. And I pray that you all feel the same way. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you. We thank you for this passage. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement, Lord, because uh, Abraham did not have Uh, A perfectly easy road and he was called from circumstances where he had comfort and yet you called him to discomfort Lord and and discomfort can be good because it helps us to uh, spread the word and become better disciples and Lord we feel that you're calling us to the same thing whether we're here in Richardson for however long we're here and when we move to Garland Lord we're just looking to make an impact on the world and we just pray Lord that you would do it through us so that we might make believers Uh, who believe in your son and that we would make disciples who make disciples lord we just thank you for your word and we pray these things in jesus name amen